for this first sermon for the series, the first thing I believe is truth. The first thing we need to come to reconcile with is truth. And I'm titling this talk tonight, Being a People of Truth in a Culture of Lies. Being a People of Truth in a Culture of Lies. And when looking around in our modern narrative, it's no surprise to anybody that truth is kind of hard to define. Truth is kind of hard to understand for a lot of individuals. It's nothing new that truth has been debated for millennia. What is truth is what Pilate would ask Jesus before he got crucified. Truth is one of those things that it can hurt, right? Truth is one of those things that can be controversial. It can be divisive. And I believe, as followers of Jesus, we're to come to terms before anything else with the truth. And before we even jump into that, I just want to start off tonight when talking about this phrase, the church. When I say this phrase, the church, I don't know what may come to mind for you. You may think of hypocrisy. You may think of a building with a cross on top and a steeple. You may think of an adobe church. You may think of community. You may think of friends. You may think of family. Then more often than not, church can be confused for being a building or an event. But the reality is this, my friends, the church is people. The church is followers of Jesus. The church is a group of not perfect people, but redeemed people getting together, forming bond, and working in community to advance Jesus' kingdom. And so tonight I want to talk about truth in retrospect of the church. And so whatever comes to mind for you when you think of the church or whatever comes to mind for you when you think about truth, a lot of things may come to mind for you. And like I said, we're living in this cultural moment right now where truth is kind of hard to come by. Not only is there media and infinity in our front pockets that tell us what to think a lot of the time and we can have a hard time understanding what truth is, then there's the narrative of what your truth is versus my truth. What is their truth? What is this truth? And we've kind of defeated the purpose of what the word truth means, an objective, black and white perspective, uh, the reality of a perspective. That doesn't matter of opinion, that's one thing, doesn't matter of what we think. The truth is one thing, opinion's another. But we've come to this place in our culture where opinion and truth have kind of intermixed. We don't know which is what. And so tonight, I want to attempt through conversation with you all to try to communicate how as followers of Jesus we, we navigate through this. How are we supposed to cling to a truth, the truth of who Jesus is, while living in a moment like we are where we don't know what truth is a lot of the time? Or how do we follow Jesus and proclaim the gospel and live out this kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven when we can't even come to terms with truth in our lives? And so, if you have your Bible, if you don't, we'll have it up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, just use the internet. It's all cool. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 20. And uh, we're just going to jump in and read it. Sound good? Yeah? You guys doing good? No. All right. Sweet. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people say? that the Son of Man is. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but what do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that it was Christ. Jesus, I, I thank you for this group of individuals. I thank you for these people in this room, God. Lord, you crafted each and every one of them. You designed all of us. You, you knew us before we even stepped foot on this earth, God. Jesus, I thank you for that. I thank you for seeing us. You're not a God who's far away or distant to us, but you're a God who draws near and desires to seek after us. So Jesus, I, I pray for us in this room tonight that we may just lower distractions, that we may just lower barriers, that we may just come to a place of desiring to know you deeper, Jesus, wherever we find ourselves. Help us to desire that, God. Give us that, that excitement, Jesus. Praise your name, Lord. Amen. If you're anything like me, you've lived a lot of life experiencing and knowing what it feels like to not live up to maybe an unrealistic expectation. So often in life, it can feel like expectations are set, and maybe for you, it's in your job or at school or in your family, and someone may expect something of you and may just assume it or voice it, and it feels like this expectation is just way too much. It can feel like, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter how much energy I have, it doesn't matter how much time I have, there's no way I could possibly accomplish this, what you're asking of me. And it could be within a relationship with a friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It could be within the dynamic of school. Like, how do I work 59 hours a week and do 18 hours of credit at UNM? And that's just summer school, summer classes. Like, how do I do this? Right? How do, how do I pay bills when I make 10.50 an hour? Thanks, Albuquerque. What? How do I meet this expectation when this is what I've been given? I don't know. If you're anything like me, you found yourself in that place. And I imagine that same feeling is what comes over Peter in this instance, in this narrative of the gospel. And we're going to jump into this statement Jesus gives. It's kind of the crux of our talk tonight, of what Jesus tells Peter. But first, I want, I want to do a little digging before then. And I want to uncover three things of how we navigate through truth in this moment of life that we all find ourselves in, in this culture, potentially as a follower of Jesus. And I believe that if we're followers of Jesus and we desire to do what Jesus did, and I don't know about you, I don't know what your story is. I don't know if you came to Jesus because you thought, you know, I just grew up kind of in the West, in America, and it's just kind of the de facto religion. Everything's Christian. It just kind of makes sense. My parents were Christian. Now I'm Christian. It's cool. It works that way. Or maybe for you, you got scared into following Jesus and you said, I don't know, I just grew up seeing paintings of hell in Dante's Inferno and I read that at a super young age, I don't know why, so hell's really scary and I, told, I was told if I don't accept Jesus, I go to hell instead of heaven and so I did at a young age and I've been a Christian ever since but I don't really get it and I'm scared into it, I don't know what's happening. Or for you, maybe you've encountered Jesus in your life and he's unlike anyone you've ever met and he's closer than any friend you could call or any brother or father you could have. And you've experienced him and you know how real he is to you. No matter where you find yourself in your faith, right? Because we're all on different narratives. We're all on a different journey. A lot of the time, what can happen 
is we can come to his scripture, we can come to understanding God's word, and we can try to communicate to people because it's changed our lives or impacted us. And we can try to communicate a truth that we ourselves haven't even sought after. So I believe our first practice, our first way to navigate through truth is we first have to, we seek in truth. We seek in truth. If you're taking notes, that's our first point for tonight. Let me read to you verses 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What's the buzz around town? What's been going on? Jesus is walking with his closest group of followers, his inner 12, right? Then there's a more inner three, but he's walking with his followers. And he asked this question that he knows the answer to because he's God, right? But I imagine it's kind of like how when you were a kid and you got in trouble and your parents would ask you a question about something that you knew they knew the answer to, and you did too, but you did it anyway. Like, hey, um, is it okay to shoot out windows of cars with a BB gun? <laughs> and you'd sit there, definitely hypothetical scenario, never happened in my childhood. You sit there, hypothetical kid, you say, uh, no, right? Or if you're like smart, like, <laughs> says who? Like, yes. But growing up, this was common narrative. Your parent asked you, hey, is such and such okay, or did this happen in a way that they already knew the answer to? And Jesus is asking this question rhetorically. Jesus knows the answer to what these individuals are going to say, but he's asking it to seek something out within him. So let's keep reading. Verse 14, he said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am. See, the disciples are answering Jesus, and this is pretty far into Jesus' gospel in Matthew. Jesus, at this point in multiple accounts, in Matthew 9 and even before then, had healed people miraculously in large crowds. That people by the masses witnessed Jesus walk up to somebody without a limb, with the defect of their skin, people who were blind, lay his hand on them, pray for them and watch bones grow, watch eyes open, watch skin clear. And people witnessed this personally. So Jesus isn't asking this fresh out of the ministry at 30 years old saying, hey, um, I'm just on the scene. How many Instagram followers do I have, guys? How, like, what's my clout level? Am I verified yet? He's asking because people have been able at this point in Jesus' ministry to make up their mind about who Jesus is. And the reality is that Jesus is asking this question to seek truth out in these disciples. To seek out these disciples and see what they believe to be true about Jesus. That the disciples answer, well, some people say you're this prophet or that prophet or another prophet. A little background on these prophets. One of them is named Elijah. Um, he actually never died. Scripture tells us he like rode off in a chariot of fire. That's kind of the way I want to go out personally. Like, if I could just like ride off into heaven, like on a Harley Davidson on fire, that'd be great, right? But Elijah in Jewish culture was actually perceived to be this almost godlike figure, this angelic figure that he would return at any point. Like even today in an Orthodox Jewish culture, you reserve a seat at the table for Elijah because you're expecting him to come back any moment. And then even Elijah would actually come back and rescue and help in kind of Jewish um, literature. It's not true, but they expected that maybe Elijah would come back and show up as a prophet and save people out of their scenarios and out of their situations. So they think, you know, this is what the disciples are saying. 
you know, Jesus, people are saying you're like kind of a good teacher, you're prophetic, you say cool things about God, you heal people, but that stops there. You're just a kind of a good guy to people. People think you're nice and maybe you wore Birk Birkenstocks and just eat hummus and you're just kind of a nice guy and you talk on God's behalf, but it doesn't go beyond that. So Jesus says, okay, and he says this kind of, it's kind of daunting if you think about it, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, Jesus in this moment, like I said, he's asking rhetorically, not so he can know. He's like, oh, I'm the Messiah? Dude, thank you so much. I've been so confused since I got here. Like, I was perfect growing up, and I just like, walked on water the other day. What's happening? He's asking because he knows, and he's looking for this testament of faith. He's looking for this moment in his followers. And I believe for us as followers of Jesus, and even those who may have nothing to do with Jesus, that Jesus is asking us this very same question. He still poses this question to us today. Who do people say I am? That's one thing. Who your mom says Jesus is? Who your grandparents say Jesus is? Who your dad says Jesus is? That's great what they think. But I believe God's posing to each and every one of us. But yeah, but who do you say I am? Where are we at? But then it, it continues. He says, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, this comes to this moment where these disciples are admitting the truth of what they've desired to see in Jesus, of who they believe Jesus to be. And it's comforting because Jesus doesn't say, dude, great job. Uh, you passed all the questions on my exam for you. You get um, 10 loaves of bread. Good job. You can come follow me now and I'll save you when you die and stuff, whatever. Or, hey, you're so enlightened and you figured everything out. You've just, you've just reached capacity. You're the greatest person ever. You know, you can take my spot when I die, but you're, dude, you're in my books. You're good. He says, no, you've sought after me and God met you in the midst of it and revealed it to you. It's not by your own action. It's not by your own fruition that you found me, that we, that we came to this conclusion that I am God. And that's comforting, my friends, that Jesus wants us to seek after him. But here's the thing. We can't get it mistaken. God isn't lost. And I hear this said a lot of time of conversation with friends and having conversations with them kind of on religion and following Jesus and what they think. They say, you know, I'm just trying to find God. You know, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to figure out where God's at. I just kind of have to look at it and say, friend, God's not lost. God never left anywhere. And from the Genesis account onward, we read that any farness or nearness to God is dependent upon our relationship to him, dependent upon us and our decision of what we believe him to be. So Jesus isn't saying, you figure this out, you're great, good job, dude, here's a gold star. He says, no, you saw after me. You desired to seek me. You decided to follow me, and I met you in the midst of that. And I believe what Jesus wants to communicate to each and every one of us tonight is that before we step out the doors of our household, before we go and we desire to be used by God, we have to figure out our own standing with who Jesus is. And we have to figure out our own standing with seeking the truth about Jesus. I find a lot of time it can be really easy to kind of just say, hey, you know, um, Christians do this all the time, by the way. You know, if you ask somebody, hey, could you, like, come over and, you know, we're having, like, board games tonight. You want to, you want to come over and hang out? Christians would literally do this. Um, I'll pray about it. You know what that means? Um, no, but I'm going to act like I'm going to think about it, okay? 
We like to procrastinate as humans. And a lot of time with our relationship to Jesus and the truth and the reality of who he is, we procrastinate. We say, oh, you know, I, I went to this gathering like one time and I had a, like, you know, it's just kind of weird. The playlist was off. They didn't sing all the songs I wanted to worship. You know, it was just kind of mediocre and I left. And, you know, me and Jesus, you know, I don't think it's going to work out. Instead of desiring to seek after God, to seek after Jesus, to take it upon ourselves to say, hey, no, I'm going to figure this Jesus thing out. I'm going to see what this God is all about. And here's the good news. God wants to meet you in the midst of that. Yeah. And I remember being in 10th grade um, and just being, honestly, like one of the lowest points in my life. Life's kind of like everyone talks about, that was like the lowest point. And I kind of think, man, you haven't lived much of life because there's more than one low point. But anyway, that's kind of depressing. But I was at, there's multiple low points in life, okay? But I was at one of like the hardest points in my life. And it was, I remember it vividly, I was 15 years old. It was 10th grade, sophomore year. And I just came to this place. I, I truly felt so far from God. I lived this life where I just did whatever I wanted to do. I kind of shut God out of everything, Jesus out of everything. I was like, I don't want to be controlled by religion and rules. I want to do what I desire. And I did it. And then I ended up just coming to this place where I just felt more depressed than ever. I felt more isolated than ever. And then in the back of mind, growing up in church, being aware of the idea of Jesus, but never figuring that out. I came to this place in, in the darkest pit of depression, feeling suicidal, and I prayed the, this desperate prayer to God. I said, God, I don't know what else to do with my life. I don't know what else there is. I, I've tried doing my thing. kind of don't work out. Um, I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to give you a shot. And I, I truly think, like, my backup plan, I was like, and God, I think I pray this. And God's forgiven me since. But I said, God, and if that doesn't work, I'll try like, this Buddhism thing out, okay? Obviously, <laughs> Jesus worked, first of all, because he's real. But... I came to this place where I stepped out of my circumstance and said, God, I want to see you. I want to find you. I want to seek after you. I want to taste this forgiveness. I want to taste this glory. I want to taste this mercy that everyone talks about. I want that for me. And I stepped out and I sought it and he met me in the midst of it. And so before we proclaim truth, before we live into truth of the gospel, we have to seek truth out in our lives and see where we stand with Jesus. The next thing we do in truth is we live. In truth, we live. Let me read to you verses 18 on. It says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So going upon what I initially said of, you know, you ever feel like there's a really big expectation on you that you can never fulfill? I imagine that's Peter's response in this moment. <laughs> could, you could you just imagine, like you're hanging out with Jesus like 2,000 years ago, okay, hypothetical. And you're hanging out with him, and he's like, hey, Elias, dude, I'm going to build my church on you. See you later. How would you feel? Hey, hey, Josh, I'm um, going to build my church on you, dude. Sound good? All right, let's go. And then he tells you five verses later, get behind me, Satan. So it's kind of confusing, right? It can feel that way. I bet Peter in that moment can feel a pretty big expectation. And I'd even say, the way we read this verse, we can have a big expectation on Peter. We say, oh, that's so cool, Jesus. Peter, his name's Rock, and then you just said Rock? Peter's the Rock of the church. And this is an argument among different scholars, and different people believe different things about what Jesus is meaning in this verse. The first most common view that you read a lot of time, if people just read it off the bat, is people will say, 
What Jesus is saying is, hey, Peter, you're such a great guy. You're so foundational. You're one of my, my three dudes next to James and John. I'm going to make you the pillar of my church, and you're going to be like the foundational leader of it all. And then people would go on to look at history and see in the early church that Peter, he goes on to write books in the New Testament. He's a really prolific leader within the early church. And he's kind of one of these people who it kind of makes sense what Jesus is saying. He's like, yeah, he's like, the church is on Peter. But there's two things that are kind of controversial about that statement. First of all, if Jesus, the, the God of the universe in human flesh, is telling Peter, hey, you as a man, I'm entrusting to you my entire, my, my closest heart. Jesus compares the church, us as his followers, to his own bride. That's how close he feels to us, that we're the body of Jesus. And he says, you know what? You're just a dude. I'm just going to, it's just yours. And it's just going to be based upon your human. And hopefully it works out and you're a good leader. And good luck with it. It kind of doesn't make sense because if that's true, then the foundation of the church, what keeps the church going, what has not, the, the gate of Hades, the gate of hell is prevalent upon human action. How well Peter performs and how well Peter is as a person is reliant upon how well the church does. So that's the first thing that kind of doesn't really add up. The second thing is the words used, okay? You know, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. When you read the Bible 2,000 years later, you can really read some crazy stuff. And then if you read it of what they're really meaning, it gets even weirder. And then when you find out it was translated from Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew into Latin, into German, into, and that's not even like the modern German that we have, right? You ever watch, oh, never mind. So it's like very, very, very old. So we can get mixed up in what's being said. I went on a tangent. But what we read is, is pay attention to this. He says, you are Peter, comma. That wasn't there originally. Didn't have commas back then. And on this rock, I will build my church. You are Peter. Peter's name, his full name is Simon Peter. Simon means listening, hearing. Peter means Petros in Greek, which means rock. But Jesus then says, and on this rock, I will build my church. But then the word used by Jesus in this situation is Petro. Oh, no, Petra. So it's the feminine Greek, where Peter is the masculine Greek. And so the way it translates is Peter means piece of rock, and Petro, Petros, means rock formation. So he's saying, you are Peter, piece of rock, pebble, and on this rock, rock formation, I will build my church. So I think of it like this, okay? It's like piece of rock, and I think we have an image for you, and I think of this image, and it just went to my head. No, 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 other one. Next one. This. I think of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. It's a piece of rock, right? It's just a little rock, a piece of rock. And then I think of something like Jesus says, and on this rock, this rock formation, I think of an actual rock formation. Well, that's a rock formation, but the original picture is what it looks like, and that's what Jesus means. And then we have the previous one, a rock formation. That was pretty good, right? Dwayne Johnson's the guy. So Jesus is saying, you're this little pebble, that's great, but on this rock, this rock formation, I will build my church. So what could Jesus mean? This obviously means it's bigger than Peter. What Jesus is referring to goes beyond Peter's humanity, goes beyond any expectation that Peter can carry out alone as a human. What scholars agree upon with this verse is that what Jesus is actually saying is, you alone can't do it, you're a pebble, but on this formation, the proclamation of you deciding to follow me, 
I will build my church. Upon the faith of followers of Jesus, I will build my church. That it's not going to be dependent on how well people perform. It's not going to be dependent on how well people are nice to one another. That no matter what, my people will be known for their faith in me. And that's the foundation of my church before anything else. And this is why it's so important when approaching truth, once we seek truth, to live into truth. That it's one thing to know a lot. It's one thing to understand concepts and theories. But it's a whole other thing to live it out, my friends. It's a whole other aspect of humanity to know something and then to actually carry it out. So we have this faith in Jesus. Jesus says this is the most foundational aspect. Things that are within you and I as followers of Jesus to this day, as we've decided to follow Jesus, is the same thing Jesus told. This is the foundation of my church. So what does that come with? How do I do that? How do, how do I live in truth as a human? I'm, I'm messed up. I'm flawed, right? Read verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So sadly, this verse is the origin of like every terrible heaven joke you've ever heard in your life about St. Peter at the gates. People literally read this and say, Oh, so Peter decides who gets into heaven. Okay, I'll talk nice about him on earth, and hopefully I get in. That's not what Jesus is meaning here. So also, you have to understand, Jesus is turning. He's speaking to Peter in this verse. You are Peter. And then he turns to his disciples in the King James Version, right? None of us probably have that because it's really difficult to read. I don't blame you. The King James Version, it goes from thee to thou. So he changes from a singular to a plural setting, right, in the language. And what he's saying is he's now referring to all his disciples. So he's not just talking to Peter anymore. And what you need to understand is a little bit of cultural context. So back in the day, there was this judicial system in Jewish culture known as the Sanhedrin, right? They are the people that actually executed Jesus, right? They said he committed blasphemy against God. That was a law back in the day. So he went to the cross after they sent him over to Rome. So the Sanhedrin were like this elite of the elite, right? Think of like 12-year PhD Harvard law student going and serving on the judicial, so hard to say that, branch in the U.S. government, right? Like top-tier person, right? This was the Sanhedrin of the day. They would have memorized the entire Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament, right? I can barely memorize a psalm. And they would recite it before their rabbi, and they would earn their position, and they'd work their way. And they were the most religiously. They were so sanctified and pure. And actually, in Jewish culture, we read them because, like, oh, they're the people that killed Jesus. Well, in the culture of Jews, you would look up to Pharisees. You'd look up to Sadducees, which is what the Sanhedrin were composed of. You'd look at these individuals and say, I want to be like that. It's like looking, it's like being in sports, in any sport you may be in, and for me it's skateboarding, and looking at like the top tier person, be like, I want to be like him. That would be the equivalent of the day. And so Jesus is using law terms that the Sanhedrin would use. He's saying things like bound and loosed. See, in the law of the day, we still use it today, you would be in court and they say, you are bound to this law, you loosed from it, right? Um, you think in court today, you are bound to a contract or you're loosed from it. Or think of Jerry Maguire. Anyone ever seen that? It's a terrible reality TV show. They say, you are the dad, you're not the dad. You're bound or loosed, right? That's kind of the same reality. Is you're bound to the law, you have to pay child support now, or you don't, right? It's just how it is. We still use that language today. And so Jesus is saying, whatever authority the Sanhedrin have, whatever authority the most elite of the day have, you got it too. I'm giving it to you right now. Like, that is revolutionary, you guys. That is insane to consider. 
Jesus is literally saying, yeah, the top tier, most professional people of your era, you're equivalent to them in my eyes. You have the same authority they have. And granted, you have to understand, Jesus' followers, guess how old they were? Just throw out some numbers. 19, 12, 30. What if I told you Jesus' followers between the ages of 14 to 20? That Peter is most likely 14 years old. Because in Jewish culture, when you're 13, you become a man, and then you seek after a rabbi. That's what his followers are doing. So he's telling, arguably, a group of middle schoolers besides Matthew, <laughs> right? No, this is ridiculous. Hey, those 50-year-olds who worked their entire life to have the same level, to have this top-tier responsibility, yeah, you're like the same as that in my eyes. You know, that's like taking a middle schooler who's in, who has a recorder in music class, <laughs> playing hot cross buns, walking into the room, saying, hey, um, I just spoke with the lead symphonics like guy at Walt Disney Music Hall. Um, you can go play there anytime you want. Yeah, just go play in a symphony. Like Mozart, anything, dude. Like, you got it. It'd be like, the sixth grader is going to be like, me? I, have, I can't even play hot cross buns, let alone Mozart in D minor. Or it's like going, for any basketball fans, to a JV third string 15-year-old high school basketball game where people are barely winning against each other, just winning by free throws. And you walk up to the team, you walk up to the head coach. Hey guys, um, just so you know, um, you guys are welcome anytime. Anytime you just want to come play in the NBA, you can just do it. You have, you have the ability to do that. Um, if you want to, you could go play with LeBron right now. If you want to go play against um, anybody, just do it. You got it. And you have the authority to do so. And you just walk in, tell the coach, gave him my name, you're good. You'd think that'd be a little intimidating, right? You'd think if you watched a sixth grader with a recorder walk into Walt Disney Music Hall, Saturday night, pack crowd, play hot cross buns, it'd be a train wreck or it'd become a meme. You know, that's kind of the thing nowadays. The thing is this, is it's true. It is true. And it's the same thing in terms of us desiring to carry authority in Jesus on our own. Because here's the thing. I could, let's say I'm like the like biggest woodwind instrumentalist in the world, right? You know, I could play saxophone, oboe, piccolo, you name it, okay? And I walk up to this kid and I say, hey, I know you're not there yet. I know you got some things to work on, but let me coach you. Let me tell you how to do this. Let me help you. And coming alongside him, I would eventually be able to maybe one day see him in Walt Disney Music Hall. Maybe one day he'd drop the recorder because they're made from Satan. And he'd be able to pick up a saxophone. And he'd be able to actually know how to play. And through process and, and growing deeper in relationship to him and coaching him, he could learn how to actually do this thing well. That I believe the same is true of us, my friends, that we step into life, we decide to follow Jesus, and immediately we can cross-compare and look at everybody else. We look at the Billy Grahams of the world, just like, oh my gosh, you want to see somebody who just submitted their life to God and just let God do his thing? That's an individual. Martin Luther King Jr., these monumental Christian figures in our modern day. Then we look at ourselves and we're like, oh, yeah, I can't even like wake up on time for work. How am I going to change the world or impact people for the gospel? Why does Jesus want to use me? But Jesus wants to entrust this authority to you. That even in Matthew 10, he told his disciples, I'm giving you the ability through the Holy Spirit, once he left, to heal people, to cast out demons, to pray for others. 
And we live in such a mindset of this narrative that we, we first covered with Peter that due to Peter's position and his title, he was able to access and get something the other followers weren't. When Jesus said, no, it's because of your belief in me. And we still do this. We say, no, I can't go pray for that person. I'm not a pastor. I need to go get the pastor. Oh, um, I, can't, I could never volunteer at this church. I sin like way too much. I'm just so unholy as a person. I, God, why would God want to use me? I'm just nobody. But that's the thing, friends, is that's Jesus's type, nobodies. He took these 14-year-old fishermen. He told them, hey, you have the same authority to act out on my behalf the things I've done on this earth, that you actually accomplish greater things, he tells his disciples. And I believe Jesus is calling us this, but we may feel like the kid with the recorder, sixth grade music class. But that's the thing is Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us, to help us, to walk alongside of us. That it's not instantaneous, that you don't give your life to Jesus today, and tomorrow you're like blowing up, speaking at a million conferences, right? Even if that is a fruit of labor, who knows? But it's something that takes practicing the way of Jesus, putting into practice, living out the truth we understand and we read about. That Jesus wants to work in your life. He wants to move within you. He wants to give you the authority. That when you see somebody on the side of the road and they look ragged and they look kind of scary, you can say, hey, I'm going to get out of my car and go pray for that person right now. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine how our city would look if neighborhoods that we saw as dangerous or bus routes that we said, yeah, we don't take that route. That as Christians, we said, no, we have authority. We have authority to step onto this bus. We have authority to step into these neighborhoods. And we're going to be faced with some stuff. There's going to be some controversial things. But we're going to step into these environments because I'm going to step into the authority that Jesus has given me. That I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. That I don't have to do it on my own. And we're going to say some stuff and do some things sometimes and be a little foolish. But Jesus can work with that. But we're so scared to just live out this truth when Jesus has already given us the authority to do so. In closing, this sort of last thing that we have to seek truth. We have to live the truth. But the truth is useless if it's not done in love. That in truth, we love. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13.10. He says this, 13.1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm a recorder playing hot cross buns. And if I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love... I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Hear this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But for we know in part and we prophesy in part. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. See, this is the reality. That it's one thing to know something. It's one thing to even do something. But it's a whole other ballgame. It opens up this realm of following Jesus when we know how to do these things in love. When we know how to exercise truth in love. Because the reality is this. You can't have one without the other. You really can't. There's this talk of love, and it's more like tolerance. Well, tolerance is kind of like, hey, it's like 
opposing countries saying, hey, I cannot stand you so much, I want to invade your country and kill everybody, but I'm just tolerating you for now because I just disagree with you, I think you're less than, but I'm tolerating you. That's the original meaning of tolerating. Someone says you're tolerable, that's not a compliment. <laughs> Loving is understanding the truth in what we read, the truth of who Jesus is, and desiring to make that known. Love is knowing what's best for an individual. And I can say this, a lot of people mess this up and they abuse this and they say, well, I'm just loving them by giving them the facts. They say, oh, I, I, didn't want, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I want to love them. I want to make them feel loved. When the reality is this, we have to live in the neutrality of messy grace, that there's grace in the truth. And you want to know something? If you, if you have a hard time contemplating this concept of like, how do I tell people the truth and I still love them? Like, Nick, let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves. This book says, and the God we believe says, unless you believe in Jesus, this narrow path as Jesus would describe it, you're going to hell. There's one way to me. That's it. It's, that's a hard truth, y'all. That's a hard truth to communicate. So how do we communicate a truth to people while still loving them? It starts with a relationship. Yeah. I don't know. Right? And, and, and we find ourselves in circumstances and situations. And there's moments where you share truth with others and they don't accept it. And it's like, okay, ball's in their court. I've done my part. I've loved them best as I could. That's all good. But there's another aspect of when you love somebody, you know them deeply. And through relationship and getting to know them, and you know their story, you know what they've been through, you know what's been said to them by people with sandwich boards on the side of a road or with people holding signs at a university, and you know this background. And instead of barraging them with drone strike information, we, we step in and we communicate with them and we meet them where they're at. And we communicate the truth. We don't pull spots when they ask, hey, does the Bible say this? We don't say, yeah, well, that's what Jesus maybe said, but we, he didn't really mean that. <laughs> right? That's how we like, disclose anything Jesus said that's like, hard to understand or read. It's through relationship. So none of this truth matters. None of it truly has effect or takes root unless we have love. And we have to make the choice as followers of Jesus, what kind of follower are we going to be? Are we going to be somebody that seeks after Jesus, that seeks truth? Allows God to meet us in the midst of it. Are we going to be somebody who desires to live what we say? Are we going to be people who we want the truth in our lives to be true and want for other people to be true? Are we going to be willing to live it out ourselves before being hypocritical? And are we going to love people in the midst of truth, even when it's messy and people offend you because their political opinions are different and things aren't the same and you disagree on a million things, but you can't go over this guy Jesus? Are we willing to be these kind of people or not? The choice is up to us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for everyone here, God. We thank you, Jesus, for just who you are. Lord, um, God, you're so faithful. You desire us to seek you, Jesus. You desire us to get to know you. And Lord, you don't want us in the dark. Lord, you want us to find the truth. You want us to seek after you boldly. And Lord, I pray for any one of us who finds ourselves in a situation, a scenario where you feel far, where we feel like we've been seeking truth for a year now and you're still not showing up, God, that you may just manifest yourself in our lives tonight, Jesus. That, Lord, you've already been here, that you invite us. We don't just invite you, Jesus. 
Lord, please allow us, Lord. Please let us allow ourselves to be invited by you and what you're wanting to do. And Albuquerque, God, we need it. We need your light. We need your truth, Jesus. We live in a dark, dark city. Lord, we need what you have to say, Jesus. We need your truth, God. Help us be people who exercise this and live it out and actually do it, but do it in love, Jesus, through relationship. Lord, help us to draw near into you, God. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.